welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. So glad that you guys tuned in with us today. You're watching what, what literally happened in Indiana weather as a prophetic picture in front of you. This is Andrew. Earlier this week, it was 60 degrees. This is me today when it's uh, less than, what, 20 degrees. Well, wind chill uh, is like one. Yeah, so. yeah. So welcome to Indiana weather. Yeah. Uh, you never know what's coming. Yeah. But um, welcome also to Indiana politics. My goodness, we've, we've been warning people uh, for the last couple of weeks about this um, a ter- a terrible piece of legislation, a uh, deceptive and dangerous piece of legislation called the Respect for Marriage Bill that was introduced by, by Senator Schumer. Uh, we had 12... Uh, Republicans who got it to the floor for a Senate, you know, vote on this, and then we were. We, and I just want to say, first of all, thank you to everybody uh, that is part of, you know, connected with us in any way. We were sounding the alarm, and people responded like crazy. From what I understand, uh, Senator uh, Young's office was just bombarded with calls, uh, really st- strongly encouraged him to reconsider his vote. Uh, as it turns out, all 12 of those, and many of them are, are, what's crazy is many of them, it doesn't make sense to me politically, they're from deep red states, like like Indiana is not in line with this piece of legislation. West Virginia, some of the other states that are just strong uh, conservative states, and then you have this rogue senator who sides with, with some of the most liberal, uh, you know, um, Senators uh, and liberal policymakers. I mean, this piece of legislation had nothing on it that smacked of anything Republican or conservative in nature. Certainly, if you're a Christian and you believe in biblical marriage, you're just scratching your head because it's not. You know, at the end of the day, again, if you're an elected official who loves Christ and loves the Word of God, then it's not about putting your finger to the wind and figuring out which way the winds are blowing. I mean, marriage is an institution God created. And uh, and we don't have the authority to redefine it. And so this was this was a shock and a slap in the face, I think, for Hoosiers, uh, because we just elected Senator Young to a, a new term, and right out of the gate, this is the thanks we get for mm-hmm. uh, for electing him. So I mean, I'm I'm disgusted. It's, it's uh, a little bit of like, hey, I got. You know, got your ring on your finger, you're my wife now, and then I don't need to pursue you anymore. I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah. You know, a little bit of that. And you and I were talking, I mean, uh, and I feel the same way you do. Uh, Todd Young will not be getting my vote ever again for any office. Uh, that's certainly nothing in Indiana. Uh, I don't know what he's planning on running for in the state, but I I, I, I can't imagine Hoosiers are going to forget uh, this incredible betrayal of our values. Uh, I, I think some Hoosiers will forget. I think he's counting on Hoosiers forgetting yeah. all of this. You know, <laughs> We'll be around, uh, Lord willing, to help I, remind everybody when the time is right. Yeah, because to me, to me, this is such a disconnect between, you know, uh, the people and D.C. at this point. You know, when you go to D.C., man, you got lobbyists, you got whatever it is, you got all kind of forces that... Uh, that's why local government is so important, yeah. that you know your state rep. I don't know Ty Young. Ty Young doesn't know me. I wrote him two or three different emails. Yeah. I've been writing him. <laughs> I know he's probably got some, you know, some intern, <laughs> like, just like, delete, you know, like, I, I don't know. I mean, he's at least getting the message. But, but again, I just go back to how important local government is because yeah. America has gotten so big. The, the, the system's gotten so big that local petition was almost... Yeah. Is and, you know, I'm just, it's a, it's a, ironic for me because I was part of uh, the last RIFRA go-around um, when, when Indiana passed a religious liberty you know, protection 
act, and um, and it was a good act. And it was again, it was designed uh, to protect Christian business owners and people of faith to be able to live out our faith publicly. Well, as soon as that came out, <clears throat> what we were all accused of was that this RIFRA legislation was a club that was going to be used to to, to attack people um, who don't share our views or to attack th- those in the LGBT community. Well, I've learned over time that whatever the folks on the other side accuse you of, that's exactly what they intend to do. Because what we found was that as soon as these uh, RIFRA laws started crumbling and or being gutted, then we saw attacks uh, against Christian bakers, Christian photographers, those who simply disagreed with the LGBTQ agenda, uh, public policy agenda. Those were the folks that were being openly sued. And what were they being sued for? They were being sued for simply trying to live out their Christian beliefs in the public arena. So it's amazing to me, again, that this legislation, uh, that the, the concerns about it was the fact that we were not protecting, adequately protecting uh, Christian you know, liberty, uh, religious liberty, and we've already had a history of the club being on the other the on the other side. So this is not like, oh my gosh, hypothetically, what's going to happen? Um, you know, folks on the end, constitutional attorneys and, and policy experts, and those who have been around this dance before, right? It's not their first go around. They're saying, uh, we're warning strongly, this is going to open the, this is an attorney's dream because the language is so vague that everything's going to have to be tested in court. And um, and that's what they're hoping for, you know, just more and more broader uh, expression of their agenda and being able to punish everybody who dissents. And uh, it's not, it's not good. So Anyway, but we're not we're not losing sleep over it. I, again, I shared on Sunday in our message. You know, we have to keep doing everything that we could possibly do. That's what it means to be faithful and responsible. We don't all we can't always control the outcome, but we have to show up. And then when the outcome doesn't go our way, we are we are forever prisoners of hope. So it's not like we're depressed and we're rolling over and all of a sudden the end of the world. Uh, certainly this is a, a, a bad loss, but it's not the end of the game. Uh, and there's another perspective that I have. I was reading about really the the reason leading up to this um, Respect for Marriage Act was really uh, the response to uh, the overturning of Roe versus Wade. So when Roe versus Wade was overturned, apparently uh, Clarence Thomas mentioned how the procedural thought behind some of these previous laws need to be reconsidered. You know? Well, for instance, so in, in Roe v. Wade, abortion, the right to abortion was basically created out of nowhere. Right. There was no legal there's no, precedent. There's no legislation for yeah. abortion. It was all through legal means, right? Yeah. And so and the same argument could same hold for, argument hold for same-sex o- marriage. Same-sex, Oberfeld versus, I yeah. forgot the name of the lawsuit. And so really out of that reasoning, that thought, you know, because abortion rights was not codified when Democrats had the House, the presidency, and you know, and Senate. Now they're trying to do that because they are the the thought uh, the process. I don't know if it's true or not. Is saying based, yeah. is, is, is if the Supreme Court overturns that also. So this well, is you had, you had two court. massive pieces of legislation that were that to me are the greatest examples of uh, judicial activism uh, to suggest that our founding fathers, when they created the Constitution had a right for men to marry men or women to marry women is a joke. Uh, there's zero evidence for any of that. It was not part of American Judeo-Christian morality and mm-hmm. at the founding of our nation. 
this is all a recent thing, and it, it is it is a it is a right created out of thin air. Mm-hmm. There's zero um, constitutional basis for it, or or legal basis for it. It was made up, um, just like abortion was made up, and uh, and that's why these folks are freaking out, and they want to you know try to shove it through now. And they did, and and so <clears throat> so. I guess the one way I look at it is like I think some like New York Times or some news organization did some kind of calculation of how many abortions were averted during that time between you know Roe versus Wade being overturned versus all these other laws now right. being passed to try to to give abortion rights, and there was like tens of thousands or something like that, mm-hmm. and I, I guess the thought is, uh, yeah, after this Roe versus Wade coming down. There are counterpunches, and this sure. is one of those spiritual, counter- warfare. spiritual warfare. This is one of those things. And is are those thousands of lives worth? You know, maybe the Republicans not getting the seats they wanted, votes they wanted uh, during the midterms, and then the and then even this. Sure. You know, so it's just another perspective to have that we on our level we only can see what we can see, but what is it in the, from from the heavens perspective? So. It's just something um, to think about. Once again, I think I mentioned this Sunday in one of the services anyway, that we should not be surprised uh, of the constant battle. You know, it's like you just you just get through a battle and you're like, okay, let's exhale. And then all of a sudden, wow, now you got something else facing you. And that's just, you know, it's really the nature of spiritual warfare in a broken, godless world this side of eternity. You know, we're going to have these battles. But I think my point is that we can't throw in the, you know, the white towel of surrender and just say, you know, Let's just stay out of out of this nasty area called politics. You know, um, it's not for the faint-hearted, but I think we're in the problems that we're in, facing the problems that we're facing because we have, you know, ejected from this arena for so long, and now we're we're paying the piper. You know, um, I, I'm just looking at I, what I don't want to do is keep trying the same thing and just try it harder and hoping for different results. What are what is the strategy? Yeah, you know, what is the divine strategy from heaven? And I feel like the strategy has, obviously, we need to continue to petition our representatives. We need to continue to petition and vote and, and advocate for all this <coughs> and get yep. the word out. But I have an inkling that the strategy um, for us to continue to kingdomize and bring the kingdom of God to our community is through our local actions and yep. through local people, through through you and I, um, and really that kind of grassroots yeah. large movement than than because I mean I, I my hope in that the, the Republican Party has not been very high recently, you know, <coughs> no, I agree. based on all these different issues. I agree. So. And I think you gotta kinda of rewind the tape and that's mm-hmm. kind of what we're doing in this in this uh, podcast series we've been in, uh, talking about uh, Rod Dreyer's book Live Not by Lies. We've transitioned into the second half of the book where he was really talking about uh, kind of resistance strategies that the uh, those who have lived under you know communist countries, uh, uh, Marxist countries, uh, how they survived and how they're now rebuilding their country. Now we hope we never get there, but when kind of what you're talking about, when the macro level gets out of control and you feel like you know Washington's bloated and, and irresponsible and godless, yeah. what do you do? Well, I think you rewind the tape and just what you said, you get back to the to the tiniest area for, of which we have responsibility and control. We do have control over it. begins yeah. with me. Yeah. I have control over me. Yeah. And then it starts with my family and yeah. then my children and then our church and our local community. And, you know, you start going out in concentric circles. Yeah. Perfect example of, of the craziness we're dealing with in our culture today. This is compliments of, uh, of Micah Clark. 
the Indiana Family Association. Mike is a great patriot, and I love his uh, his uh, newsletters because they're just so full of really, really great information. Some of you guys are aware that on Thanksgiving, the Christian ministry focused on the family uh, was a victim of all kinds of graffiti and, and uh, of uh, hateful you know, signs and things that were written all over their property. And then what happened afterwards, this was in response, by the way, to a terrible tragedy that happened. There was a young man who identified as a non-binary uh, individual, meaning he's transgender. He he murdered five, wounded 17 in a homosexual nightclub. And uh, the media still doesn't know his motives, um, but we do know that he identified as a transgender man and committed these terrible crimes. Well, as soon as all that came out, um, the media was quick to throw the blame on Christians, throw the blame on Tucker Carlson, Ron DeSantis, a focus on the family, uh, anybody who has a belief that that behavior uh, is wrong, biblically wrong or morally wrong. Um, but here's what Micah points out. He said, shouldn't we look at some facts first? It turns out that this was a 22-year-old shooter growing up in a broken home. His father was a porn star. His father was also an MMA fighter who praised his son for violent acts. His dad struggled with meth addiction, had a criminal record. Uh, and interestingly enough, uh, it says his father told the media after the shooting that he didn't even know his son was alive until six years ago. So we have this terrible relationship between father and son. And, uh, and Micah goes on to point out what we're going to talk about next, uh, which is obvious for those of us who are Christians, but not so obvious to others who have a, a certain agenda that they're pushing. Um, but this is interesting. Uh, by 2018, 75% of the shooters uh, among the 25 most cited mass shootings came not only from fatherless homes, but from highly dysfunctional broken homes. The Heritage Foundation also notes uh, that psychologist Peter Langman, a preeminent expert on school shooters, found that most came from incredibly broken homes, not just of divorce and separation, but also he found out infidelity, substance abuse, criminal behavior, domestic violence, and child abuse. And Micah simply points out that the club shooter fits into that category. But the media, he says, would rather point fingers at people of faith and conservative leaders that they don't like. So here again, we have a terrible tragedy happening. Instead of going at the facts and looking at the obvious, this guy comes from an incredibly broken home where he's been, he has been neglected, abused, mistreated, had horrible examples, certainly as uh, his father. But we can't talk about any of those things. We just have to let it fit the narrative. So we'll talk about gun violence, right? As if guns actually commit violence. It's the people with the guns, obviously, that are committing the violent acts. But we talk about gun violence. That's the new, the, the new propaganda. And then we'll talk about people of faith who simply disagree with that lifestyle. And we're going to put the blame on them. We're going to completely miss the obvious that this guy is a very broken young man from a very broken home. Mm -hmm. uh, and it gets right back to the fact that we cannot continue to allow our families to disintegrate and not expect there to be some massive uh, repercussions in all of our lives in the public arena as it relates to public safety and other things. Absolutely. Um, so maybe that's a good transition because as we're talking about uh, how these families survived under some of the most uh, oppressive totalitarian governments, yeah. um, one of the things that Rod Dreher highlights is the fact that families actually served as resistance cells. Um, in other words, there was something powerful about the family gathering together as a unit 
and what took place when families united that gave them the strength to endure some of the terrible uh, harassment, torture, and things that were going on. Um, I've always found it interesting. This this has opened opened my eyes to some things, but I've always found it interesting that when you look historically at at uh, totalitarian regimes, they always go after two things. And we're going to talk about that in the next two podcasts. Number one is they attack the family. Number two, they go after Christians. They go after the church. They go after, you know, religion. Um, so let's talk first of all about the family. Um, why is the breakdown of the nuclear family uh, so important for some of these, you know, for government to become bigger? We're seeing that in America in a different way. Yeah. I mean, I think we talk about the three spheres of of government or three spheres of influence that God kind of has instituted. You got the government, you got the family, and you got like the, the religious sect, the church. Um, and if government wants to be totalitarianism, uh, totalitarian, they want to be, they want to be all in all. Yeah. They want to be, they want to rule, not just, I think the book talk about not just your life, but your soul. Then he has to get rid of this competition. Yeah. Right. And the two competition is family and religion. And the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and not just the Lord, but just the institution within the religion. I mean, it doesn't have to be Christian religion. They'll go after other religions because it ties people together. There is a there is a, 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 a passing of knowledge, of wisdom, of a different perspective, different narrative, you yeah. want to say it. Because yeah. I want to make sure everyone's on the same page, yeah. conformity. And family says, no, we have a different narrative. We have our own family heritage. We have our own core values. You know, same thing with religion, you yeah. know. Yeah. It's competition. It is. It's competition. And, and you pointed out at the root of it, it's really a struggle for authority. And uh, when you look biblically, you know, what came first? The chicken or the egg, so to speak. What came first, state or family? Uh, it's very clear that God instituted the family first. That that is the first, uh, the first church. It's the first government. It's the family. It's a mother and father. It's their children. It's the authority yeah. God has given fathers to lead the home and parents in general, mom and dad in general, to nurture their children. This is where values, of course, are passed to the next generation. So you look at this tragic example of this of this confused young man and this murder. Uh, he's supposed to be learning how to love. He's supposed to be learning uh, godly values. He's supposed to be learning how to separate truth from a lie. He's supposed to be learning how to be a responsible citizen. He's supposed to be learning how to get up and work and, and hold a job and and, uh, and love and care for other people. He's, all, all, where, does, where are all those things taught? They're not supposed to be taught just in our schools or our churches or other places. These things are, first of all, learned in your home. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, that, this is where you learn. Hey, don't talk that way to your sister. Hey, clean up your room. Put that away. Don't, you know, uh, don't talk back to your mama. I mean, you know, all of these things are taught at the most basic level in the home. And when the home is blown up uh, through divorce or infidelity or other things, yeah. uh, none of this normal nurturing uh, and development takes place. And so you're going to get a product that's going to be, as we saw here, dangerous, depending it, on the dysfunction. When you're a totalitarian government, that's why... Even in the totalitarian governments we've seen, they still allow the base. I mean, they were in true and they were destroyed, but they still allow the basic family unit to exist. It's because, like, what's the alternative, right? You have a baby, they bring it to an orphanage, and the government takes care of that. How is that going to work out for you? Because I think everyone recognized. I think in in the book, uh, the Brave New World, maybe. I think they describe a system as a futuristic system right. in which there's no family units anymore. Like people are. And that like, is a communist dream. I it, mean, it, kids are raised in communes. Communes uh, or, or shared responsibilities. Even like, even like, uh, births are having like through technology, right? right? But but realistically, no one's gonna. Like those kids will be so dysfunctional because we're wired. Every person's wired. I mean, 
when what even in a neglected family, which is better than just like in a commune with like orphanages and like one person overseeing thirty people, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Is is better that even a neglected family is probably better than a commune said because a child needs so much. I being a father of young kids right yep. now, yep. a child needs so much care to be a functional adult, right? So if you destroy the family, man, talk about just chaos in your nation, right? Yep. Chaos. I mean, that is the very practical level. But so 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 totalitarian regimes is like we don't want the family, but we also need like at least some type of functional human beings so they can exist and like work in my steel mills and work in my unions and work in my you know construction so they're they're kind of stuck in the hard place right they well they are and it's that's why again they're blinded by their own ideology because we we know you can't replace a mom and a dad you Uh, you cannot raise kids collectively in communes you cannot raise kids by the state uh and every time that has happened it is an absolute disaster not only Socially, relationally, morally, but economically, you can, you know you cannot sustain a no. bunch of people. The state cannot do. There's the, not the, enough money. The care of a of a mom and dad for their child that they have on their own, and I'm not I mean, even from people who adopt or foster. I mean, the love that the parents have for these adopted yeah. kids. I mean, that type of love and care you cannot simulate through governmental programs. Yep. You just can't. I mean, the wake up middle of the night to go care for your baby because she's crying, like when you're a government official, it's just like, oh, that's not, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not paying up for that, right? <laughs> you're not gonna, you're not gonna raise healthy, functioning citizens. It's just not gonna happen. The family no. unit that God's given us is irreplaceable. Yeah, it is literally the cornerstone of every healthy yeah. civilization. Yeah. Now, now again, let's look at America because we're not talking about some communist dictator who's, you know, ripping our kids out of our families. Um, but this is the concerning thing about what we just got done talking about. You know, since the, since the 60s, let's say, with the sexual revolution, um, the whole sexual revolution was an attack on family values. You know, we used to tell kids, hey, ma- make sure you, you uh, st- stay sexually pure and, and uh, uh, protect that part of your life until you're married so that you can have a great sex life with your spouse, so that you can have a healthy marriage, so that in the out of the overflow of that sexuality, you're going to produce children. They're going to be wanted children, um, and they're going to be raised in a family where they're going to be nurtured, and they're going to grow up, and they're going to be healthy, and, and they're, they're going not, to be contributing citizens yeah, to society. And they're not dealing with the doubt of, is mom and dad going to leave us? Are they going to, or they're going to get divorced? They're not living yeah. in this instability. So, so look at what happened out of right. all that. We, we had we had no-fault divorce. Yep. Uh, so now people want to get divorced. Great. We just end it. End it. We just dissolve it. There's, there's no issues involved. Um, we also have abortion on demand. Well, that came out of the fact that we no longer have any kind of morality around any of our sexual expression. And then look at the two things we just got to talking about. We talked about Roe v. Wade, and we just talked about the Obergefell decision. I mean, uh, gay marriage is an attack on the nuclear family. It basically says either a mom or dad is unnecessary. Yeah. Uh, that is an attack on the on the integrity of the nuclear family. It's a lie um, to suggest that if it takes a mom and dad to create a child, then why would it not take a mom and dad to raise the child? Um, so again, both of these things are frontal assaults on the institution of marriage. That's the that's the target. And I think those on the left they get it. A lot of them are coming from uh, Marxist and neo-Marxist kind of understandings. They want to remake America. They want to get rid of the church and Judeo-Christian ethics, Western civ. 
uh, and they're looking to remake the family, redefine the family. Of course, you can, a redefinition of the family is fundamentally an attack on the family because it produces the same bad fruit. You might think you're just being more generous and, and more broad in your values, but you're not. You're attacking an institution God designed and created for maximum good of civilization and society. And for the transference of our values from generation to generation, um, and we're one generation away with the breakdown of the family of raising a whole generation of barbarians who don't understand decency, morality, and responsibility, or any of those things, and, and it, it creates absolute cultural chaos, which is what we're watching happen. Which causes national chaos. Yes. And which then costs chaos, so then you need more government control, you need more government intervention, you need government to come in and break up the family even more, so you guys cannot parent right, so we gotta intervene. And sure, then well you look at it, uh, this act of violence happens in Colorado, what happens? Everybody starts saying to the government, what are you gonna do to make sure that something like this never happens again, yeah. as if the government could solve the problem. Uh, the government can exacerbate the problem um, by bad policy, but the government can't change people's hearts. The hearts are shaped in local families uh, with healthy mothers and healthy fathers. Yeah. Uh, and as we'll talk about, with Christ in the center. So um, one of the things, though, that I really, really loved about this chapter is he said um, that part of what kept the families together, this is some of the children sharing, was that they saw their parents modeling moral courage. And man, I love this. In other words, uh, one of the young people said that uh, their dads were heroes for them and that their father actually reminded them of the sheriff from the Western High Noon. You know, when you got the one sheriff that's good and trying to stand up for truth and, and fighting all these bad guys, you know, and, um, and that they saw their father as... The sheriff, you know, that he's standing up against the communist regime and standing up on principle and standing for truth. And when these kids watched the courage of their parents, it inspired them that, you know, what, what are we living for? And, uh, and let's, uh, our, our parents are people we can emulate and follow and look up to. And I thought, man, that is so good. You know, I want, I want my children to be able to look at me and say, you know, my dad was not afraid to stand up and to be courageous and to go against the grain and to stand up for truth and to, and to stand up for Christ when, when perhaps others were crumbling or when it wasn't popular. Mm -hmm. um, that speaks volumes to our children when they see us living out our convictions, especially when those convictions are under assault. And, uh, and that was something that, man, it really it, it spoke to my heart. The other thing, I want you to touch on this. You know, he said uh, that they filled their, their children's moral imaginations with good. And one of the kids said that their mom would read to them every day. And what they read were books like J.R. Tolkien's uh, Lord of the Rings. Why Lord of the Rings? Why, why was Lord of the Rings such a powerful uh, uh, model, I guess, for, for creating, you know, and what is moral imagination, I guess, and why is it important Which, for parents to... Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting because basically they understood that there is there is evil and there is a resistance to evil, and that is very real. I mean, most of us right now, it's interesting, I think that the, the darkest evils... So Lord of the Ring make evil and good very clear. It's yeah. very black and I white. I love the right? phrase, just an interjection. They, they say when they... When they read Tolkien's book, Lord of the Rings, mm. they realized Mordor was real. Right. It, it gives us clarity to what's evil and what's good. And I think the problem in America today is the evil is not clearly 
in society evil, evil yeah. and good is not clearly good. Yeah. Sometimes you don't know who's on your side, who's not on your side. You know, and what is your side? And that's the confusion that's kind of over our age. But for them, they have such clarity to say we, there's there's a unity in their resistance, at least as family. You know, right now we have divisive families. Yeah. Thanksgiving is a, is, a, is, a, is a total mess because they're like arguing about politics and who's the victim here yeah. and this. But for them, man, there was such clarity to say, hey, we're unified as a family. And that unity is so important. And, and, and what Lord Ring, if you ever read the story or watched the movie, there was a clear goal. There's a clear team of, of resistance against a overwhelming odds of evil. But, but at least they had unity, right? Well, what cracked me up was that, that Lord of the Rings you know, uh, novel is, is a thick book. And they yeah. said that their mom read that to them six times. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of time spent with moms and dads yeah. reading and talking. And I think that's the other thing that's important. You know, um, parents have got to spend time, you know, uh, sharing their values with their children around the dinner table, at home, reading books, reading the Bible, talking about what's going on, not, not just trying to shield our kids from a bad culture out there, but talking about what's going on, helping them connect the dots. This is why we believe this way. This is why you don't want to act that way. Um, this is why we don't want to pass this legislation. You know, you're constantly teaching as a parent. And in, the, in these communistic countries, obviously that teaching does not happen in public or, or you're arrested and thrown in jail. But these were discussions that were happening at home where they helped their kids see, like you mentioned, the reality of evil, the reality of what is good and right, and then uh, the understanding the difference between the two and, and then connecting the dots between what was going on in that communist culture. Um, powerful, powerful stuff. Um, third point that they brought out, which I thought was good, don't be afraid to be weird in society's eyes. Uh, in other words, these kids weren't dressing the same. They weren't wearing the same pins at school. They, they were obviously being taught a completely different set of biblical values than what the communists were obviously espousing. And I think kids, even in America, deal with this today, you know, the, the embracing the call to be different. And I guess seeing the call as something that's good and positive, not something that's bad. Um, that it's okay to not dress like everybody else. It's okay to not talk like everybody else. It's okay not to be listening to what everybody else is listening to. In other words, I, lo- I love the way the father said to the son in one lifestyle decision, he said, you know, uh, I think it had to do with public drinking of alcohol or something like that. He said, look, this is something you cannot do, um, certainly until you are of age, because it will come back and have harsh consequences on our family. Um, in other words, our family's got to pull together during these times. And what the family became the most important unit of society for them. It was our family, protecting our family, staying together, sharing the same values for the sake of our family. Um, and, and embracing the weirdness that, that all of a sudden maybe you're not like everybody else. Yeah, because people always have, you got to have a source of strength to belong to. you got to have some players, some type of sustenance for you to say, okay, in this, middle, in this community, in this family, in this group of people, it, could, it, could not, it doesn't have to be a biological family. In this group of people, I am at home. I am not weird. I'm yeah. normal. You can be as weird as you want <laughs> out there, but you, if, you're, all, if that, you're weird all the time, I don't care who you are, you will get word down. Yep. You will change and you will adapt to whatever temperature is out there. Yep. Right? You just will. Yep. That's why if you have a nuclear, if you have a, doesn't have a nuclear, a group of people who, who says, know what, you are safe here. And I've experienced that my whole life. You know, I've been feeling like a weirdo my whole life. Yep. And what I found in the middle of all that is saying, you know what, I don't have to conform to the outside as long as I have some group that tells me 
or even a one or two person that tells me you are not crazy. I'm like, okay, I'm good. I just <laughs> yeah. need at least one other person to tell me that because sometimes I'm like, am I off? You know, am right. I am I just totally off? Right. Everyone else is right, right. I'm wrong, right? You're not crazy, right? So, and, 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 but that's the, that's <laughs> we all need that in no, the midst of all of this. Absolutely. That's why you, you listen to maybe that's one reason you listen to the podcast. You're just like, am I crazy out there? You listen to the podcast. You're like, okay, yeah. no. There's at least two other guys who feel the same way I do. Yeah, right. And, and well said. That, that, to me, that's the not only the church, the importance of the church, small groups, and your family values. Yeah. Uh, everybody needs a place where where we know that we're not the crazy ones. Yeah. Um, I thought this was really, really good. You know, you said that in the face of fear of losing your children, which is what the communists were experts on, it was a major fear tactic. You go along and, and you make sure you you never step outside of the you know the communist orthodoxy, the, the whatever the the, the 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 song sheet is, um, or else. And sometimes those or else is where they're going to take dad out of the family, and then dad's left trying to or mom's left trying to raise kids by herself and barely getting by. Or they're going to take the kids out of the family, and they're going to put them in an orphanage, and, you're, and they're going to threaten you that you're never going to see them again. Fear, 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 fear. And and what he said in the book was that many families under that cloud of fear would simply go along uh, to get along. In other words, they compromise their values so that they could keep their kids, so that they keep the family together. But it had a, a, a reverse effect because mm-hmm. what it said to those kids was, we don't really believe these values. Mm-hmm. What's, what you're really doing is trying to play the system to kind of keep the status quo and keep us comfortable. Yeah. And many of those families said that they, that they lost their children to the communists. In, uh, in other words, at some point, those kids just completely rejected all the values that, yeah. the, that their parents were trying to teach them. And I thought, again, you know, we cannot let fear rob us from doing the right thing with our children. Uh, what speaks the most to our kids is that there are principles that transcend our personal comfort or that transcend whatever the fears are, what could happen if we actually go against the grain. Uh, and that really the secret to saving your kids is to be willing to lay your life down. And, I, and th- this principle or in this story just so touched me when the father was in prison and, the, and basically was allowed to call his wife to tell her, look, uh, they want to send us out of the country. In other words, we are such a threat. Our truth is such a threat to this communist system of lies. They will send our whole family to the United States or somewhere else just to get us out of the country because they are being such a pain to the communists. Mm-hmm. And the wife, who's back raising six kids on her own with barely enough money to feed them, the wife, without second thought, says to her husband, absolutely not. We are not going to simply leave this situation for comfort uh, when we're actually called to make a difference here in our nation. Uh, what a what? A, first of all, talk about good crazy. Mm-hmm. That's good crazy. You don't find people like that that are so rooted in truth and principle that they're willing to sacrifice short-term pleasure for long-term pleasure. Uh, I mean, short-term goals over long-term, you know, goals. Um, and, and, and that spoke so powerfully to those kids. Like, my mom and dad are heroes. My mom and dad know what they believe. I want to be like them. I want to stand. I want to have that kind of courage. And again, I think in, in here in the West and in America, how many times parents will go along to get along. They'll sacrifice the short term. They don't want to make a wave. But what they're saying to their kids is whatever that point of contention is, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. It's not important. It's not worth it. And if that's not worth it, what other parts of our faith are not worth it? Yeah. 
You know, what other parts of the Bible? What other is Jesus worth it? And, uh, and when I see the sacrifices some of these people made, uh, uh, to me, it's just impressive, you know, stunning. So we can go on and on. Maybe we need to pick this up on our, our, our a little bit on our next segment. But um, so much again of what we're seeing today, the principles transcend from from pure communistic countries to in America what we're seeing as a neo-Marxist movement right now. Um, big, you know, empowering of the state and, and and sexual immorality and the trampling of our liberties. I mean, you can see the handwriting on the wall. I hope these podcasts are helpful as it relates to raising our children. And I think the big takeaway from this podcast is simply this. Your family is one of the uh, greatest sources of unity and resistance against evil. God intended it to be that way. And sometimes when you feel like the world around you is going crazy and you don't know where you can land, the place you land is back at home. Make sure that your marriage is strong. Make sure that your family is strong. Make sure that you're loving your kids. Make sure that your home is a a haven and a safe place. Make sure Jesus is exalted in your home and the principles of truth are lived and taught in your home. Uh, fill your kids with a moral imagination. The Bible is such a great uh, uh, book of truth and of stories to fill your the minds of your kids with, uh, with a moral imagination of a future, uh, one that contains both good and evil and the triumph of of, uh, of good over evil in the end. So, so many great principles here. We hope it's been helpful to you. Uh, when we come back uh, for our next podcast, we're going to talk about another great resistance uh, to a growing state empowerment, and that is the role of Christianity in the church. So thanks so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your comments and have an amazing day until we see you again next week. <music>